Okay. Uh, in the in the words of Excalibur, here we go. Uh, hello and welcome. <laughs> well, now I need to do it again to get a clean cut. Sorry, I'll be Fuck. less funny. I'll be less funny next time I start. <laughs> Welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. I'm Dee, one of the managing editors at AniFem. Uh, you can find all my writings on my blog, The Jose Next Door, and you can hang out with me on Twitter, at Jose Next Door. And I am joined today by my fellow AniFem staffers, Vry and Caitlin. Hey, uh, I'm Vry Kaiser. I'm a managing content editor at Anime Feminist. You can find the freelance work I do on my Twitter, at WriterVry, or you can find the podcast I co-host, at TrashPod. Hi, I'm Caitlin. I am the managing technical editor at Anime Feminist. So I'm the one who's uh, out there correcting your grammar and stuff. Um, and I, I'm also a reviewer at Anime News Network. And just so happy to be here today. <laughs> <laughs> As am I, because today we are continuing our Soul Eater rewatch along with part two, episodes 14 through 26. Just as a reminder for folks at home, the rewatch alongs are uh, everybody on the show has seen the show before, but it's been a little while. So maybe we're fuzzy on plot points and we're not going to spoil anything. We won't talk about anything that happens beyond this stretch of episodes. So <laughs> newbies are welcome. It'll be spoiler free other than, again, episodes 14 through 26. Uh, just a quick recap for folks at home um, who, depending upon when you last watched this show, uh, during this stretch, um, there's there's a few kind of one-off episodes at the beginning that sort of help you know establish the characters a little better, and then we really dig into like an extended arc. Uh, Medusa attacks the academy so that she can resurrect the Kishin, um, our main kids, along with Stein and Maka's shitty dad Spirit, um, are able to escape from kind of the temporary prison that the witches and free put them into and chase after the witches um they almost stop them but not quite the kishin does get resurrected and is now out in the world um leaking madness into reality and um so the next arc will be you know about trying to track him down and figuring out how to stop him so most of this arc was taken up by that big battle uh, underground and then there's some stuff kind of before and after that sort of rounds out the cast um but there's a lot to talk about there, but I want to start with something we didn't get to talk about last time, which Caitlin was very sad about. I it is not so even sad. It's not even remotely feminist relevant. It's just silly. We love Excalibur, and we just needed to have a little bit of time to talk about Excalibur, <laughs> especially because his episode this time through, episode 17, um, is kind of how I was introduced to the show. And my friends and I would sing the song and we would shout fool at each other. And I mean, Excalibur was a meme in, you know, the early days of anime memory, I feel. So, Caitlin, uh, you wanted to you wanted to give some a little Excalibur love here as well. Oh, man, he just he makes me laugh every time. I love that he is played by Koyasu Takahito, who mm -hmm. generally has a, a fairly who is good, but generally has a fair, fairly narrow range. But you can tell that he is having so much fun playing Excalibur and just having a great time. Uh, when I first started rewatching the show, and I remember, like, honestly, very little about Soul Eater since I started the rewatch. And I thought Excalibur was just, like, an annoying and 
went on. And when I watched his first episode uh, that we didn't get to talk about last one, I realized that it's not just that he rambles on, but that he does not make any sense. He fails the tests of pragmatics, which is the <laughs> linguistic study of uh, conversation and relevance. Mm -hmm. Uh it's not just that he's annoying, it's that when you're talking about him, he contradicts himself, he changes the subject randomly, he yells at you if you try to respond to anything that he says. There's nothing to hold on to. It's not that he's annoying to talk to, it's that you can't talk to him because there's no logical flow whatsoever in his thoughts and what he says. And it's wonderful. It It is It is pure unfiltered absurdity in a way that uh, Igarashi clearly latched onto because that episode 17 the second Excalibur episode is anime original um, mm -hmm. that he does not he does eventually show back up in the manga and so I think I think the order of events is by the time he shows back up in the manga I think this anime episode had already come out because Excalibur's song is in the manga and I think it's that Okubo liked it so much he threw it in the manga. I think that's how that I think that's how the order of events went down there. Uh, but don't 100% quote me on that. Um, but yeah, he is I described his second episode as a fascinating life told incoherently because <laughs> you keep getting these snippets of like I feel like there's a lot going on with you and the episode really leans into like playing with like uh, story tropes like there's a West Side Story reference. There's there's some like Arthurian legend uh, little jokes in there. I wanted to ask you guys: Did this episode like remind you of anything? Take you back to any any other like anime moments in that you've felt before, as far as like the comedic stylings and things go with it? Sh should it? <laughs> so okay. <it's> done. <laughs> watching so watching it, it just felt very. Quint, it felt like that blend of silliness and absurdity that was in Sailor Moon and then that you see in like the Nanami episodes of Utena is what mm. it reminded me of. Um, the, the use of like repetition um, to build to a joke, the, uh, the way some of the uses of like pauses and character reactions, just the structure and flow of the comedy was very much that kind of what I consider like the Ikuhar Igarashi blend. Like I think when you put the two of them into a room, I think that's the I think that's the goofiness that comes out. Mm. Um, and I wasn't wrong in that in that thought process because then I went to go check on the episode and it is directed and storyboarded by Shingo Kanako, who was the assistant director on Utena and is <laughs> and is one of the and is one of a few people who has worked with both Ikuhara and Igarashi on multiple projects since then. Um, he pops into storyboard or direct like at least one episode of basically everything the two of them have done. Um, most most notably, he worked pretty extensively on Oran, Penguin Drum, and then most recently, Sarazamai. Um, he's actually credited with like directing and storyboarding the the Sarazamai like Kappa dance sequence that they do. Mm. Um, so uh, yeah, so he is he is part of the team, and so they brought him in. So it really does feel like Igarashi brought him in to be like, hey. I think this character's hilarious. Can you just like have fun with him? <laughs> um. That tracks. I did appreciate these episodes a lot more as an adult because I remember j straight up skipping them when I watched this show as a teenager. Oh no! They were very annoying. <laughs> but in fact, they're gloriously annoying. Exactly. Exactly. They. It is a level of, again, it's that kind of absurdist humor that I really 
I really enjoy seeing it play out. And yeah, I think it's, again, it's also very memeable, which is fun. It um, is. Uh, Excalibur face. Oh, the Excalibur face is so good. I don't know how much else we want to say about that, but I do know we I do know we wanted to spend a little bit of time appreciating Excalibur, and I thought the production kind of history there was worth mentioning, mm-hmm. just because watching the episode, that was all I could think was, I was like, this is like anatomy episode, and I don't know how to explain it beyond that. That's just the vibe I get. Um, I'm curious, so. who is his dub voice actor? Oh, I know this. You He's said good. You usually, you usually watch... Soul Eater dubbed except for the Excalibur episodes. I, I always watch the Excalibur that. episodes in Japanese, yeah, because Koyasu is good. And the I, I don't know the English actor's name. I didn't look it up. Um he's I mean he's he does a fine job, but you just Koyasu's too good. Um <laughs> Oh, it's um it's Troy Baker. Oh man. Yeah, he's good. He's he's a good Excalibur. I like him. I've been going back and forth this watch doing like mostly Japanese, but also some things rewatched in English because that was how I watched it the first time. And yeah, he's a good Excalibur. I like Troy Baker. Um, honestly, I was thinking to myself, no one could be nearly as good, but maybe I'll give a dubbed Excalibur episode a try. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um. Okay, that's. I think that is all the time we want to spend on Excalibur. We uh, we have a lot to discuss here uh, going into this stretch. A lot happened, and the show kind of starts to solidify a little bit around some sort of broader feminist-minded themes. I had really thought that this watch-along was going to be focused on, like, gender roles and norms, because I remembered Maka and I remembered Krona and the, you know, Meister-Weapon dynamic. I thought that would be the majority of the conversation. And we are going to talk about that um, a little bit, but... Yeah, this is just the episode where I cry about Corona, folks. Yeah, Strap what, in. <laughs> what really stood out to me this stretch was uh, something that I think I just did not pick up on my first time through, is how much the series is, like, engaging with mental health and mental illness, and then this, like, more... Sometimes on a somewhat grounded level, and then other times on this, like, very fantasy, magical, like, the madness level, and that sort of conversation that keeps coming up. Uh, so, oh boy, it's all over the map, and I think it's a good idea to uh, to dig into that a little bit. Yeah. So, um, do we want to just go ahead and start with Krona? Krona is sort of the, the centerpiece of this stretch of episodes, I feel. Let's start with Rye crying. <laughs> I was going to say, um, you know, part of this ep- this stretch of episodes reminded me why I like this series so much, why it's genuinely one of my favorite shonen, because because it reminds me of Yu-Gi-Oh! Low-key. I, I, this <laughs> genre of anime is so my p- problematic fave, where on the one hand, the kind of minds connecting, you know, journey to the interior self a- abstractly realized is so a thing I'm into and on the one hand it can lead to these really beautiful you know surreal visuals and also this radical empathy of understanding people who cognate differently than you and on the other hand it can kind of also swing when you which like you mentioned D this these episodes are all over the map it can also swing into Patrick Swayze in Donnie Darko where he's talking about how all emotions exist on a continuum between fear and love you know I, I think Corona is definitely the best case um I think that their arc is the best handled but there are definitely characters in this stretch where it's like just stop it is essentially what it boils down to stop feeling that way 
Oh, like the way other characters respond to them. I think that in some cases there can be a a boiling down of certain more complex issues when fear becomes the thematic root of everything, you know? Yeah. uh, I mean, the show is definitely engaging in this concept of like fear of the unknown of others of what have you. And then like how you respond to that. Right. Like that's, that is the through line through everything. Maka's greatest strength is that she acknowledges her fear and then works with it instead of trying to, you know, push it away or deny it or succumbing to it um, to like paranoia the way like the Kishin does, like Ashura does. Um, And there's, Mm -hmm. so there's this conversation about like, do you work with fear or do you try to defeat it by like obtaining power, which basically means like nobody can hurt you because you're too, like you'll you'll hurt them first basically right like that's that's kind of some of the ideas that this that the show is engaging with in broad strokes throughout this this first half mm-hmm. do you guys agree with that yeah i really do love how how krona's the battle between maka and krona is maybe my favorite stretch of episodes in the entire show yeah when the show is good it's really really good yeah i think that when you when you're engaging with like mental illness or like you know again this this like broad more fantastical concept of like madness which is i mean basically like it is the eradication of fear which also means like the fear of harming others right like when maka dives into the madness um she like doesn't really care about anything um except just seeing what will happen next like empathy is shattered um so it's not it's not really like a one-to-one to any actual uh, real world mental illness but there's other things in the show that I think do do link a little bit more closely to like actual grounded um, discussions about that and so finding the line between those two and trying to navigate the different ways the show is talking about th- this is extremely messy um, mm-hmm. but I, I think Krona's I think Krona's is probably the best because you know we we get the we get uh, their backstory um, right the the terrible abuse and trauma that medusa put them through so um d what you said what you're saying about maka uh sort of her madness is losing her fear and her empathy and everything that kind of makes her who she is i really like that description because i have since i watched the stretch of episodes been kind of trying to put my finger on what exactly that madness was for Maka other than sort of the uh, stereotypical fictional quote unquote madness. Sure. That's not really grounded in any kind of real mental illness, but rather it's just like, Oh no, they're acting wacky and unpredictable, which is still kind of what's going on. But uh, I think that's really uh, like the way you put it is really, uh, much more sort of useful way of uh, quantifying it. You know what this show reminds me of is Higarashi, which also has like this uncomfortable side by side thing of a plot thing that causes a sense breaking madness where characters act erratically and violently. And then also alongside these often very grounded portrayals of trauma and the the kind of messy way those two things interact. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think Higarashi does, does play with the same, the same sort of general concepts there and it's i think on one level it can be it can be a way to kind of to kind of grasp these things especially when you're younger and you're so being able to deal with like broader stroke ideas about you know empathy and and rage and and like you know emotional and like heightened emotions and things like that um i 
I think that sometimes that can be useful, but I think you have to be super duper duper careful that you don't fall into these uh, really harmful stereotypes about like, you know, um, mentally ill people are dangerous or um, incapable of love, um, which is, oh boy, we're going to talk about Stein. Things the show is, I think, on purpose coding, like with uh, trauma and anxiety and stuff with Krona. And, but then like, you could also, I think, very fairly argue uh, that Krona has some uh, schizophrenia coding that then kind of tones down once they become redeemed, and that's not good. That's not yeah. great. No. Yeah. It. Yeah. Again, it's it's anytime you anytime you're trying to like tread that line between grounded like actual human emotions and more this kind of sense of this sort of fantastical like it's kind of the lack of humanity, right? Like that's like, that's where like Ashura ceases to be human because his fear becomes so over his paranoia becomes so overwhelming that he starts devouring other human souls. Right. That's, that's kind of the concept that the show is playing with, which as we've discussed has, can have some very troubling connotations, but at the same time, I think the way it handles Krona's, you know, fear and depression is really good in that, you know, we see, um, we see the, we see what's, what's led up to this. We see the way that like, I mean, I think one of Krona's biggest things, I, I, I made a note of this, is that, like, as a child, I, I think Maka was sort of taught, like, how to acknowledge and accept feelings, and especially, like, fear, which is something that keeps coming up in the show, um, whereas Krona was never really taught how to cope with that, and was just taught to fear something else more, right? Like, Krona doesn't want to uh, destroy the doesn't want to kill the little baby dragon, which, by the way, is a baby bunny in the manga, which is so much worse. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. It's so much worse in the manga. They decided that that was a little too much for the anime, I guess. <laughs> but it's like, Krona doesn't necessarily learn how to, like, work through the fear of of dealing with the dragon. Krona just becomes so terrified of being trapped in that dark room and, you know, abandoned by their mom that that ends up becoming their driving force. And so, but I think it's, I think it was just, I think the scene where Maka like literally goes on Krona's same wavelength and comes to understand them and then just, and just reaches out a hand and says like, it's okay. And then I cry. <laughs> <laughs> like that line about nobody ever took the time to deal with you. Let's be, how about we be friends? Let's, let's try this. And yeah, no, that scene, that scene makes me choke up. And then they drop the ending theme of the two of them walking along together that I, I had forgotten they changed the ending theme for an episode. That was so sweet. I think, for one thing, Ragnarok is kind of the, like, what happens with Ragnarok is kind of the result of mixing the kind of real issues mm -hmm. with shonen tropes, because yeah. we defeated this guy, and now they're smaller and less threatening, and a friend is a very much a shonen trope. You know, you oh, see yeah. it all the time and stuff like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Which doesn't work super well with how Ragnarok was the manifestation of Krona's mental illness. Like with a little bit more effort, I think you could have they could have made it fit in more with well, Krona has friends now, so Krona is better able to cope with mm -hmm. their support because they have a support system. Yeah. But they don't really seal the deal on that. Well, also, my understanding of schizophrenia is that, like, not all of the voices are aggressive or threatening. So you could even still work with that, except that 
Ragnarok is if Venom sucked, so he is mostly just there for comedy abuse, and then the mm-hmm. dub throws in a lol, what's your gender joke, and I had forgotten about that, and I don't enjoy it. No, that's no good. And so I think also what gets what has always kind of gotten me about Crota is when they they're like, I don't know how to interact with this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, which to me can be a very relatable feeling because yeah. I have a bad habit where if I don't know how to interact with something, I just kind of ignore it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I-, I don't know how to deal with that was right up there with a Esca- Excalibur in terms of 2000s internet memes. And oh, it's yeah. so relatable. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's very much Krona's mantra. Yeah, but, you know, Krona, that comes as a function of Krona not being socialized properly, of being isolated and abused and not taught really any kind of healthy emotional reactions or skills, social emotional skills. Mm -hmm. And... I think that makes a really interesting contrast with Maka, who say, I don't know how exactly her upbringing was, but she clearly was, has been raised very well. Her mom did a great job. Well, and the thing is, like, here's the thing about Spirit, her dad. Mm-hmm. Um, he sucks. He was a terrible, terrible husband who cheated on his wife yeah. constantly. Can't keep it in his pants. He sucks. In his defense, and I can't believe I'm saying that, he <laughs> genuinely does care about Maka yeah. and wants her. And you I think you see that in this stretch is that mm-hmm. as much of a as much as a complete disaster as he is, um, he genuinely cares about her when she was when, you know, before before he and her mom had their falling out because he was a shitty husband. Um, you know, he he's part of the reason why she loves to read so much is because he'd redo her a lot when she was little. Um, you know, he sits outside her room for like yeah. three days to help her to send good vibes so she'll pass the test. Um, he gets really upset at Medusa when she talks about Krona like an object. Yeah. Um, I think I think that as much as I think that again, spirit sucks, but I do think the show does a good job of kind of showing how somebody can be shitty in one way but not in another with spirit. And yeah. I do think that he is genuinely trying with Maka. He was like he was a very like he's obviously a very caring father and i have a suspicion that he was one of those parents that is really great with their kid when they're when they're young Mm -hmm. but when they start becoming a teenager and start becoming a little bit less dependent and more complicated yeah uh he's not quite sure what to do with that yeah. Well, again, it doesn't help that he fucked up his marriage so bad that Maka's, you know, perpetually pissed off at him about yes. it. I, I do wish the show, and like, I think it's beyond this show and the author's unconscious biases. I do wish that in, in addressing that, the show had more cognizance about the fact that Spirit's behavior with his wife is connected to how he affected Maka by like creating an unstable home life for her yeah. and modeling yeah. horrible masculinity for her and yeah. But, yeah. but yeah I do like the scene with Medusa like I'll give him props for that I think that's um, a really effective scene but anyway so Maka is clearly had a really strong social emotional upbringing like you were saying she doesn't just run away from her fear she confronts it she accepts that she is afraid um, she's very like in touch with her emotions and so when she sees something that she doesn't understand she doesn't go i don't know how to interact with this she is able to look at it and figure out how to interact with that 
uh, that is how she and Krona managed to connect because Maka sees someone who is in need and she knows how to interact with it and she can figure out how to reach Krona on their level. Um, yeah. saying, you don't know how to interact with me, but I think I can understand how to interact with you. Yeah, I I will I will meet you where you are and we can move from there. And I mm-hmm. and I like that Krona isn't just like magically better after that and goes to the school and makes friends and his besties. Like Krona is still deeply, deeply anxious mm-hmm. in the episodes following. And and I think one of my favorite little little scenes in those 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 post battle episodes is Maka mm-hmm. encouraging Krona to express themselves through healthy outlets. And she's like, Why don't you write this down in a poem? Why don't you find a way to express oh. yourself? <laughs> and I mean, it's it's played for it's played for comedy but in a way that i think is in a way that i think is gentle right it's not it's not making fun of crona for be for having depression and anxiety and you know trying to work through all this it's just like oh god crona's crona's such a mess (laughs) everyone else is deeply depressed by the realization of how fucked up crona's life is exactly um but i I thought that was i just i thought that was a really nice way to show the process of healing from that trauma and like the fact that it's not going to happen immediately, but like finding mm-hmm. other outlets for Krona because Krona never learned how to deal with emotions. So Maka being like, well, why not express yourself in this, in this much healthier, more productive way um, instead of, you know, just murdering people. Yeah. So. And, and then the ending of the last episode of this batch is, is Krona repeating that to the, the person that they are definitely going to kill, but like, it's still sweet. <laughs> yeah. You should write it down in a poem. Krona's is very sweet and yeah their their whole arc with Mako is Maka sorry is really uh is really encouraging and nice which helps counterbalance I think like you know we talked about we don't have to talk about Kit a lot this week but I do want to acknowledge that I think the show does better this time of like having fun at Kid's expense and like him being extremely relatable but also Patty being Patty specifically being a lot better at understanding how and being empathetic to how he works and like trying to offer him coping mechanisms before being like okay you can't do this liz i do mean liz i do mean liz patty's 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 contribution is when nothing liz does work she goes patty just terrify him into moving please (laughs) please (laughs) but yeah no i I really yeah (laughs) i really liked liz this stretch yeah i i noticed that too i thought that i thought that the show has done a better job of showing like Liz Liz trying to understand and connect with Kid a little bit better and sympathize with him rather than just kind of brushing him off as a spoiled rich kid because there are there are several moments where she's like no 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 remember your coping mechanisms kid remember your coping mechanisms um yeah I mean he's still I feel like I feel like kids anxiety uh obsessive compulsive disorder however you want to refer to kids um neuroses kids big ball of neuroses um I think it is still mostly played for comedy or as a convenient plot barrier because Kit is very mm. powerful and uh, it's a way to kind of slow him down sometimes. But I did I did think this week they were a little bit more sympathetic to it. I think they also are starting to do a better job of sort of showing like a little bit of why Kit is the way he is. Because I talked last week about how he's got this pressure of like needing to be, he's going to be the next Shinigami. So that, that feeds into a lot of his anxieties about perfection. Um, I think this week also showed like he's very clever and like thinks things through and it can be both a strength because he figures out what's going on with free 
And then it can also be this weakness where he just overthinks everything to the point of paralysis, like needing th- needing to solve the puzzle and make things fit together. And uh, so he doesn't do a ton this stretch, but um, I still I still really like him, even if even if I think the show is a little hit or miss as to like how they handle him as a character. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a relatable feeling. Which which being part? Able, being able to figure stuff out but then getting paralyzed by thinking about it too much. Yeah. Catastrophizing is real. Yeah. 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 No kid, kid continues to be a mood. And I do uh, the, I mean, the dub was like late, I think it was late two thousands. Um, it, it has a vibe to it that is very like any Twitter esque in a way that I appreciate. Cause like kid <laughs> talks about himself being garbage. And there was one line where he's like, just put me on the, just put me out on the curve on garbage day. And I'm just like, oh kid, oh kid. Is maybe one of the shining highlights of the dub. He's very yeah. He does a really good job of of presenting Kid as this this yeah just anxious ball, um, who's also who's like but also simultaneously like puts on a front of being you know kind of the well to do next Lord Death. Yeah, no, he does a really good job with Kid. I think um, and Kid's Mamo Romiano in the original, so like that's a that's a tough that's a high bar to clear. But mm-hmm. um, who doesn't who does not sound like a fifteen year old? No, but no, like, yeah. no, he doesn't. But that's okay. But uh, anyway, although should yeah. we talk about the adults in the room? Well, and that's what I was going to say. Like, like I, we are we are heading into since we're continuing our conversation about you know mental health and madness and where the show does well and where the show maybe doesn't do so well. I think we need to talk about Stein. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, do you want to lead? Yeah, I want it. So I want to give the show one point in its favor here, which is that I honestly kind of like that they have a moment where Stein's like, people thought I must've had some horrible trauma in my, in my life to make me the way I am. But no, no, I just, this is just me. Um, I kind of appreciated that because I think it sidesteps that. Cause, cause again, we know Krona does have this, you know, pretty significant trauma in, in their backstory. So I think it helps sidestep that idea of like trauma makes you evil uh, in a, in a little mm-hmm. bit of a way. So I thought that was interesting. Um, Stein is, I find Stein fascinating on kind of like a micro character level as this person who was basically born without empathy, right? And has this, I mean, he's Dexter. He's functionally Dexter, right? Like, except without mm-hmm. the, the, the traumatic backstory. Um, like, has this, has these destructive impulses that are completely, that are impersonal, right? It's not like he necessarily wants to hurt people. He just wants to take things apart. That's what he wants to do. And at some point growing up, he realized this is bad. This is bad for me and this is bad for other people. And I need to find a way to not do that. And so he's really latched onto this this authoritative system with Lord Death kind of making the rules and telling him what he can and can't do because it helps him find that balance and those those, uh, boundaries that he doesn't necessarily see on his own because, again, he seems completely incapable of empathy. And so on a micro level, I find that I find that concept of the character and this kind of push and pull with him and Medusa over like he is interested in kind of like seeing things explode just to see what happens out of pure curiosity. But on the other hand, like intellectually, he also knows you shouldn't do those things. Right. Like morally, you shouldn't hurt other people. Um, So, yeah. Fascinating character from like a macro like mental illness stereotypes perspective. Real rough. (sighs) real rough guys uh feeds into a lot of ideas about like mentally ill people being dangerous 
um, also feeds a little bit into like the evil aromantic stereotypes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's my understanding that the the Medusa Stein stuff is um, is anime original, which is an interesting addition. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Medusa Stein stuff that D is apparently very into. <laughs> I, I wouldn't very oh, yeah. into is maybe a little much. I listen. There's not a lot of anime where you get to see two adults, two consenting adults, have like palpable sexual tension. And I think Soul Eater does a really good job of showing like why they are attracted to each other. Now, would it be a healthy relationship? Oh no. Not at all. <laughs> it is and it does. It's just hilarious to me when you, in particular, start talking about how much you want to see characters hate. <laughs> I didn't say, I um, never said I wanted to see them have sex, Caitlin. I said I was into the okay. hate fuck ship. That's completely different. <laughs> I don't like watching sex scenes. But I like watching them. I like watching them. I like watching them glare with sizzling intensity at each other. Okay, I don't see what's wrong about that. <laughs> the, da- the dance, the dance scene was very, was very it, good. It's quite it's good. It's good, right? And, and- That's the moment where I was like, oh wow, this is actually, huh? I don't usually, I'm not usually into hate fox, but this relationship is kind of fascinating to me. Um, so, and yes. you know, I'll give, uh, I, I will back you up in humiliating. Uh, uh, in humiliating confessions where I admit that uh, while she is the worst, Medusa is also uh, quite hot <laughs> is is a thing I discovered rewatching this series. I was, Medusa, I was going to say that she, um, I, I, oh, no, I was just going to agree with you. Like, I do think Medusa is an attractive character in a way that you don't often see in Shonen anime because it's not like she's all like, you know, va va voom um, mm-hmm. tits out, ass out, right? Like her outfit is really practical, but there yeah, is she's just not, like, like completely so comfy. They do. But there's a particular way that she is like drawn and animated that does. And I think it's partly that it's like kind of that snake backstory, right? Like she's she's kind of what's the word slinky. Mm. That's not the word. Mm. Um, You guys know what I mean, right? Um, I do. Yeah. And it's like she's not a completely fetish free character because there's a lot of feet shots, but it's definitely (laughs) like her allure is based on her her powerful presence. Without yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that is it. Like she, she exudes this kind of like, uh, especially for Stein, like this kind of powerful temptation. Um, and so watching the two of them kind of uh, both verbally and physically spar with each other, um, it, it mm-hmm. I don't know, it works. <laughs> it's it's good. It's interesting to me. They they call they talk about them being snakes, but her magic basically boils down to being vector based. Which I it's think both. is yeah. super, in- yeah. Well, yeah, it's both, but it's super interesting. Like mm-hmm. I've never really seen that done anywhere else, um, and it's real. It's a really cool way to to do something. A really original uh, approach to fight scenes. When she was putting down all of the like vector tiles, <laughs> that I was like, oh, it's like it's like in a JRPG dungeon with all of the little. Uh, moving sidewalk bits you know what i'm talking about i I think she's i mean right you're right she's a terrible a terrible terrible human being i think she's a really well-written villain though yeah like um i uh between the last recording and this one i read all of chainsaw man and Uh it's definitely that series villain and medusa i would call definitely two of the the top female villains in 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 shonen just in terms of how they are written and 
what is lacking from how they're character how how they're characterized. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. Um, it's interesting too because like what what Medusa claims she is after. In broad strokes, I'm not like opposed to it, right? Like she's like she's like this world is stuck in one place because Lord Death just makes all the rules and everybody follows them, and that doesn't seem fair. And like Free had a conversation last week with uh, I think Maka and Soul, where he basically kind of mm-hmm. talked about like why does this guy get to decide everything? Like I want I want the freedom to you know be myself kind of thing. Um, and in broad strokes, I'm like yeah, that actually you guys kind of make a good point. Why is this one guy in charge of everything? Um, but then on the other hand, they want the freedom to, like, murder people. And you're like, mm, okay, no, you don't get to. That one's not okay. Medusa does want to attack and dethrone God, yes. I mean, she does, and right? Like, that's, that's kind of her, that is that is what she's going for. And that is the, uh, that is, again, the, the temptation that she uh, she gives to Stein. And I think that, I think that conversation they have in the basement about, like, why it's important to have some rules as opposed to just like complete and total uh everybody just does whatever they want um i I think it's an interesting conversation that i I don't know if the show ever follows through on but i I think it's i think it is a clash of values that is that is fun to watch play out in addition to the the well animated fight scenes they say no to libertarianism If I wanted to put on, like, my hyper-analyst hat, I could make Mm -hmm. a sad frowny face about the fact that Medusa is still, um, like, a temptation uh, manipulation type female villain, and she is associated with poison rather than direct action, and also the thing that makes her monstrous is specifically that she's a bad mother. But I'm going to take that hat off, because I think (laughs) she's a really good villain. (laughs) I mean, I think those are all. I think those are all fair points to make too, because um, I did, you know, I did kind of write that she is sort of written as like an evil woman, and right now we have this idea that like all the witches are bad, um, and I mean, fortunately, there are a lot of female characters. Um, you know what? I feel like are we? Did anybody else want to touch on Stein and the way he's written at all? Um, I know I model. No, I think you kind of summed it up really efficiently. He does remind okay. me of. A, I think a better version of this of his character is a uh, Jade in Tales of the Abyss, which is always what I think when I see him. I don't have anything really constructive to add. I just lose it every time he's scooting around on his little chair and then he eats shit and falls over. (laughs) And also the two of them make excellent face game at each other. God, they do, right? Um, Yeah, I don't don't remember how much... I mean, she's not dead by the end of the stretch. I don't remember how much they interact with each other past this, but... uh, yeah, I do find I just anytime the two of them are on screen together, it is it is very tense in a way that I don't think you see that often in anime. Because again, we don't get a lot of consenting adults like I don't know, hate fuck jousting with each other. <laughs> I don't know how to word it, but you guys know what I mean. Uh, yeah, I do. Well, 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 we get it a lot between dudes where the show strenuous strenu- strenuously just denies that the vibe is there. But yeah, yeah, the hor- horny jousting. That's what it is. It's horny uh-huh. jousting. <laughs> <laughs> I got there. Um, okay, so all right. Since glad, glad I glad I covered that. I'd been, I'd been, I had a lot of notes about Stein because I was like, I feel like this character is a wreck, but also I do find him really interesting as far as like on that kind of micro. Uh, no, I fully back you up. I just think you you yeah. summed it up really well. Okay, good, 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 good. I'm, I'm, hooray. Uh, then, well, we were we were sliding this direction anyway, so I figured we'd kind of move into talking more about. Uh, the way the show handles gender roles, norms, fan service, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, because I was kind of talking about, we were talking about Medusa. Um, 
And I think it helps this week that we have added some other adult female characters to the cast. Right at the tail end, we get Marie and Azusa. Uh, what are y'all's kind of general thoughts on Marie and Azusa? Uh, Marie is a particular tired stereotype, uh, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. She is the uh, young, pretty woman who is, you know, worried about aging and, uh, you know, getting too old and just wants to settle down and get married. And she's resentful of everyone who's who is young and still full of life. I love Azusa, though. She's great. Uh, I've had a lot of conversations about who is the hottest uh, person in Soul Eater. And Azusa <laughs> is my current pick. I really enjoyed her conversation with Marie in the bathroom where she's like, you know, getting married isn't the end-all be-all. You're a death scythe and Marie's like I know but and uh the whole toilet thing <laughs> yeah I feel I, that that scene feels like the anime I don't know if it's also in the manga but my bias is saying it feels like the anime knowing that this is a very very tired joke and trying desperately to work with it yeah you know I, I'll, be, I'll be honest I I jumped around the manga a little bit, but I didn't have a chance to read as much of it, so I can't talk as, as much about one to one changes. But uh, yeah, I, this 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 part I this part I didn't get a I didn't get a good look at. Um, She's what were you the say prototype about her? of Maki. She's the prototype of Maki from Fire Force, basically, mm-hmm. a, a woman who is extremely powerful and competent. And just her head is filled with nothing but thoughts of boys. And she feels bad about being powerful because men don't like powerful women. I, I don't get that vibe from Marie necessarily. The vibe I get from Marie is that, like, she didn't intend to become a Deathside. Like, she even says, like, I was planning on graduating and then immediately getting married and quitting. Um, which, why were you at school in the first place if that was your end game? To get her MRS. MRS. Yeah. Uh, it seems like meisters and weapons get married pretty often. So that's that's true. So I mean, maybe that was the goal. And like they and they they mentioned that like she and Stein were briefly paired together, or she had a crush on him when they were growing up. I don't quite know why. I don't know why Stein exudes sex appeal to everybody around him, but apparently, um, uh, he is pretty fucky sometimes. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean with Medusa, sure, <laughs> but uh. Um, I don't necessarily get the vibe that like the conversations they have with her isn't like, oh, men don't like powerful women. It's like, you're so obsessed with getting married that it scares people away <laughs> because you just come at them so hard, um, which I think is, is a, is a fair, a fair critique in most relationships. Um, I, I think Marie, I don't, Marie doesn't, is a trope that I have law, I have often complained about because we've talked we talked about this with Toradora too the teacher there is also like the the mid-20s uh single woman lamenting being a single woman in her mid mm-hmm. mid to late 20s and I mean you see that you see that that uh that trope especially in like school anime um Marie doesn't bother me as much um and I think I think Partly it partly because I don't feel like she's as angry at the people around her as those stereotypes often are. Mm. Um, and the other thing is, I think having Azusa enter the frame at exactly the same time helps make her just feel like a character 
instead of a statement about women in their 20s, you know? Because mm-hmm. I think she and Azusa are supposed to be about the same age. Like, she makes some comment about Azusa still being young, but I don't get the sense that Azusa is that much younger than her. Like, they all seem to kind of know each other, like they were, at, like they all went to school together. Um, and I like that Azusa's like, she's very focused on her job and she enjoys it and she's um, a little bit of a hard ass. And uh, yeah, so I appreciate that the two of them came in simultaneously because I think Marie would, would, suck a lot more if she was the only adult female character outside of the villains that uh had showed up on the cast mm-hmm. i like them f- not really i like them fine but we don't get to see them do a whole lot in this stretch they just kind of no, show they, up yeah we just we yeah. just got a tail end of them um i just felt like they were kind of worth mentioning since again no we definitely haven't had any adult we don't have a ton of adults in the show period um but a lot of them up to this point have been bad guys um the show dances around some ideas about adults in this stretch too. I think in like the secrets they keep and why they keep them, and because you know, um, kid and kid and his dad have kind of a standoffish relationship. Not not a bad relationship, but they're not. They don't seem particularly close. Um, obviously, Maka and Spirit's relationship is a disaster. Um, don't know anything about souls parents yeah i mean there's a lot of people whose parents we don't know anything about but you know i think especially like with the stuff with medusa and finding out that krona's their child Mm -hmm. um i think we do start to see those elements uh floating around a little bit Mm. i also one one thought i had in the basement was the fact that their teachers are the all of the adults in their lives are functionally soldiers Mm. and because like i've not thought of stein as a particularly good teacher but when they get down there and he's basically their their commander in the military he's quite good at it and it's like oh right that's you're all technically soldiers um that's a very different role than than being like a you know a a teacher caretaker mentor figure so it's interesting that sid basically gets sidelined for this arc because he is i think probably the most healthy and caring adult figure in their lives yeah Yeah. he's genuinely trying with krona and krona's just you know zombie Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, just doesn't know how to deal with that um i do think we get more of sid and i think we get more of nigus his uh his partner oh Um, yeah she's great stretch because nigus has a really cool design and we we barely get to see her at all but i do think the two of them get to do more in the in the coming Mm -hmm. episodes um we are starting to see a little bit more as far as like characters of color. Um, we mm. met Killick very, very briefly, um, and he'll he'll be in the next stretch as well a little bit more. The cast starts to expand. Um, oh boy, Mako shouldn't have called Sid a gorilla, huh, guys? Sure, shouldn't have. Mm. Yeah, no. that's <laughs> that's good. that was bad. While we are briefly noting those things, there are some uh, the 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 musician designs during the ball aren't great, and I don't know what to make of Tadpole Jackson, oh, who God. is kind of a floating Mister Popo. You're extremely right about the musicians. I had not, that didn't ping on my radar at all, but you are correct. Oh, yeah, uh, no, I did not process that. So Tadpole Jackson is, that's kind of, to my read on it and like, totally like this, I'm not obviously the, uh, what's the word, the defining authority on this. Mm-hmm. Um, Tadpole Jackson's face is froggy. Like that's, I think that's, I think those, those, the characteristics on Tadpole Jackson are very uh, common for like frog type, character character type designs so i think that's why uh he looks the way he does also i just love the name tadpole jackson it's a good, <laughs> it's a good name, name. I absolutely, the first time she says it i was like yes i forgot how much jackson. i love tadpole jackson tadpole jackson is faced like a is uh shaped like a friend yes true <laughs> yeah no like it's one of those things where i think like uh if this this uh you know this is 
one of those things where maybe the colorists didn't think, but if, but it's worth noting and also a hundred percent unintentional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. As well, and especially like you said, on I think it's one of those things where it wouldn't it wouldn't even phase you, except that it's like on top of Tadpole Jackson shows up like immediately after the music, the scene with the musicians, and um, you know, there's been we've we've talked about. Uh, sit a little bit in past episodes and mm-hmm. so it's like hmm um I, I i see i see what you mean there yeah mm-hmm. um but we're okay so we we're low-key coming up on the hour here although i do want to add sort of to what we were just saying okubo is once again like i this is a little outside my lane and if feel free to correct me but okubo is like i think one of the few manga artists who draws black characters with black hairstyles mm-hmm. um most of the time when you get like anime and manga characters with dark skin they still they ha- still have this like the smooth hair and it's either uh either black or it's um for extra exoticism dark skin and light hair mm-hmm. but like okubo's black characters have like you know braids and cornrows and you can look at them and you can see that it's it actually has like texture which i think is uh really interesting and uh cool to see mm. yeah we get uh there i can't remember if uh i think killick is sort of an ox tier uh tertiary character but is yeah. very cool and i had forgotten that he is introduced to this arc yeah yeah he gets to do more later and i, I do remember liking him so hopefully we'll have some more mm-hmm. uh, we'll be able to touch on those characters later and um have some have some positive things to say um one last thing i wanted to i wanted to talk to you guys about because we kind of i feel like we gloss over it a little bit in the sense of like uh shonen bullshit but can we talk about fan service just a little bit this time around because yeah because the blair scene made me want to die and also kill like just nuke everyone in that in that street yes yeah that was a, a low point it's completely jarring. Like it's some of the like the some of the fan service comedy with Blair. I'm like, ugh, I don't, I, I don't see the point. But okay, whatever. It's in the middle of a light comedic scene where there's other goofy things going on. So fine, her tits are out. She she's happy with her tits out at least. It's not it's not uh, embarrassment based fan service, right? So fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't care. She's um, a cat. Cats don't wear clothes. Yeah, sure. Like if yeah, I mean like if that's the if that's the in narrative excuse, fine. Uh she's again, she seems happy. Okay, I can roll my eyes and move past. But this is like the stuff with her and Mizune is like happening in the midst of this big epic battle and you know, Maka uh, reaching out to Krona and and all and and the full on body horror, which we didn't even really get to talk about, like how good the show is. The show has it doing horror once Ashira shows up. Oh, uh, God, that thing is so oh, good. Him stretching, but, stretching out his skin. Oh, so I, nasty. I often contend that anime has a hard time being scary, and also that body horror has somewhat diminished since the the 90s and the really, really fleshy style that was in vogue then. But mm-hmm. this, that Ashura sequence knows that specificity is the key to really good body horror, and it's great. Yeah, this show does horror. I, um, it's mostly like a supernatural action show, but when it decides to like go go all in with the horror, it does a really good <laughs> job with it. Um, but yeah, so all of that is going on, and then we'll just periodically cut to these two scantily clad ladies like wrestling in the street. Um, yeah, that's very Okubo. I um, 
I know neither of you got very far with Fire Force. Nope. Um, Fire Force is a more is a less uh, filtered Okubo. Yeah. Um, and that is was is like one of the recurring complaints about the show is that when there is an action scene, particularly with a female character, a lot of times they'll just interrupt the action for like this ridiculous fan service moment that goes on for way too long robs the scene of its momentum mm-hmm. and is just there's no real reason for it to be there yeah um, even people who really who like the show uh and who are usually like oh you guys are just making mountains out of molehills will say that it was a really weird jarring interruption of yeah the action mm-hmm. so i I honestly, I think they probably could have just completely cut the Blair Mizune. They could have. Like, Um. but for whatever reason, they felt like they needed to keep it in. Um, I'm a little, in the end, I'm a little bit softer on it because it did have a very funny joke uh, at the end with uh, Free going, who are you? And Mizune saying, five Mizune is stacked up. And like, oh, okay. Free's very good. His like nonchalance about basically everything. He's he's an extremely fun character. Just to kind of he's just along for the ride, and everything's fine. And like when kids trying to put the pieces together, he's like, "Oh, are we solving puzzles now? I like puzzles." <laughs> he's pretty great. So. Yeah, I do. I I like Free and Erica, and um, Erica is a fashion icon. She's <laughs> got such a great look. She loves frogs and she wants you to know it. <laughs> that adorable polka dot dress. She's super cute. I love her. Yeah, she's good. Um, uh, we were talking about fan service and we're kind of coming up to the hour. Oh, one other one other note I did want to make as far as fan service. And like, I agree with you. I don't know why the anime felt the need to keep that in. Uh, they toned it down as a, from the manga. Oh, I'm sure. Because uh, I did want to check on that. And then the, the other thing that the anime has, the one thing I really, really appreciate about the anime is when there is fan service, it is pretty much just Blair and it's pretty much kind of on her own terms, right? Like again, mm-hmm. Blair's into having her tits out, which we don't have time to get into the whole conversation about how they're fictional characters and somebody made those choices and they don't actually have agency. Yes. All true. All true. But in the context of the show, she's not upset about it. So it's the kind of fan service I can kind of put up with, right? It doesn't need to be there, mm-hmm. but whatever. Um, no one's embarrassed. Yeah, in the manga, there is some embarrassment-based fan service around uh, Maka specifically, and a little bit with Tsubaki, but mostly Maka. Yeah. And uh, the moment where Ragnarok, being a five-year-old bully, flips up her skirt, um, which in the anime, is he is immediately, I mean, in both versions, he is immediately punished for this. Um, the manga actually, of course, shows her panties, whereas the anime... Uh, the anime throughout is like, no, we're not going to show you. We're not going to show Maka's underpants. She is one again. It's hara- it's harassment based, quote unquote, humor. Um, two, she's a child, and you know, like we're not going to we're not going to undermine our our protagonist that way. And so, I do appreciate that the ang- the anime kind of came down. <laughs> the anime had that standard at least. So, um, I, I I do appreciate that about it, and uh, I think that will continue. So, I did have to check that scene to be like, did did Okubo? Did he? Of course he did fucking course he did so um okay uh final thoughts real quick here anything you guys want to say about this stretch um 
Oh. If you want to end on a more positive note. I mean, I really <laughs> liked it. I, I cried a little bit during the, the Krona Maka episode. So, you yeah. know, that's usually yeah. a good sign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, uh, I got to, I got to gush about, uh, how good the uh, the Ashura stuff was. I just really like everything around that. The, I love the, the hallucination sequences. Man, this show is good at being spooky. Ah, it really is. It really is. Um, and so I hope we I hope we get a little bit more of, of that good spookiness in the coming weeks as well. Yeah, um, just I love the theme song so much, and I'm very sad to think that it's oh, going to leave us soon. Right, we're losing Paper Moon for the the uh. less good one. Yeah, I forgot oh. there was. I didn't know there was a second opening theme. I just assumed it was the same one all the way through. I forgot that they changed it. Gary okay. reminded me recently, and it made me very sad. Well, um, it'll take me less time to watch episodes now because I can skip the <laughs> intro. Um, you can't. I can't skip the original. It slaps so hard. Do we uh-huh. have time to tell the to the tell the concert story. Uh, yeah, um, we've got we've got a little dithering. Yeah. I think if you can. That, that's true. We, yeah. there, there was some early stuff that's not going to make it in. So um, sure, go ahead. Tell the concert story since since we are we are yeah. saying goodbye to the opening theme after the, the first opening theme soon. It's just it it just shows how incredible, like iconic this theme song is because this is from the Otakon that most of us managed to make it to. Uh, rest in peace, in person conventions, <laughs> um, and uh, there was a D and I went to the TM Revolution concert. And so Jam Project had opened and unfortunately they didn't sing a lot of the songs I knew. So I was already kind of feeling a little low energy and TM Revolution comes on. And I mean, he's, he's great, but he, Dude, he brought it. He brought, he, he brought he, that show. The first, the first few songs that he sang, I didn't know. Um, so I was kind of zoning out and D you were also kind of zoning out next to me. And then I just hear like bells and I just like soul, like I felt it in my soul and <laughs> no pun intended. And I just like soul eater. <laughs> from that point on the concert was great and i'm sure it looked very like strange from your perspective d um, but yeah just completely iconic theme song yeah no it was it was great he he put on a great show and we yeah we got to see him perform the soul leader opening live and yeah it was a good time the audience went, well, we audience went wild pieces of clothing yeah he just slowly stripped and he's in like his mid-40s i think but like i mean dude he looks, looks good great. yeah good on him it was uh, great when he yelled i'm naked <laughs> <laughs> yeah i uh, i remember we were we were having like a group chat about it and some people were like please stop they were like mr revolution please stop stripping and a few of us were like listen if you look that good in your mid-40s and you're on a stage you're gonna show off your abs too so um no, it was fun. It was a good time. Uh, and I do, I think that's, I think that's a nice, a nice way to uh, wrap this one up. So uh, next time folks, we will be back with uh, part three of our Soul Eater Watch Along where we will be covering, guys, help me get these episode numbers right. 27 through 39. Is yes, that correct? That is yeah. correct. Okay. Excellent. All right. 27 through 39 next time. Another, another core long binge for y'all at home. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chatty AF. If you like what you heard, tell your friends about us. Tell them to subscribe to us. We are on Stitcher, iTunes, or whatever that is called now. Uh, we're also on Spotify. That's fairly recent. 
Um, and then if you really like what you heard, we would just absolutely love it if you'd head on over to our Patreon. It's patreon.com backslash anime feminist and uh, become a patron for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, your support really goes a long way towards making Anime Feminist happen, both in print and in your earbuds. If you're interested in more from the team and our contributors, you can check us out at animefeminist.com, on Facebook at Anime Fem, on Tumblr at Anime Feminist, and on Twitter at Anime Feminist. That's our show. Everyone, remember to never put carrots in Excalibur's meals, and we will catch you next time. <laughs>